0: Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by KMT Partners. I'm Andrew Montesi. Our next few episodes will be focusing on entrepreneurship education, which is somewhat contentious when a lot of discourse around the topic is built on stories of the self-made founder, university dropout, and learning as you go. So we're investigating this issue of education for entrepreneurs and business owners, starting with a conversation with Professor Frederick Kropp. Frederick is Professor of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Middlebury Institute of International Studies in California, and also at the University of Adelaide. He also spent 20 years working with consulting firms, specialising in forecasting, marketing and policy analysis. He was educated at Northeastern University in Boston, University of Southern California and University of Oregon. We talk about key attributes of successful entrepreneurs, key fundamentals for teaching entrepreneurship the emergence of social entrepreneurship, and much more. This podcast is brought to you by KMT Partners. KMT is a leading accounting and wealth management advisory firm in South Australia, assisting you to emerge, renew, grow, and build resilience in business, themes which are central to this podcast series. For more information, visit kmtpartners.com.au. Now enjoy our interview with Professor Frederick Kropp. Professor Frederick
1: Kropp, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, first thing, um, maybe a challenging question, maybe not, but how do you define entrepreneurship?
1: You know, when I, when I first started out teaching, I used to say it's like a giraffe. You can't really define it, but you know when you see it. <laughs> and as I've gone on, I've really kind of gone through that process. And it's where you're using innovative, proactive, techniques. You're willing to take a risk for a reasonable return. You act on your, your own and you are competitively aggressive. Do you think it's a bit of an overused term at the moment? It seems like everyone's an entrepreneur these days. Um, that's also another good question. <laughs> um, and it could go back to the giraffe analogy, but there are certain criteria. You have to be willing to take risks and you have to be innovative so the traditional mom-and-pop type store where it may add value to the economy and may produce jobs is not really considered entrepreneurship. Okay. Who are
0: some of the entrepreneurs throughout history or even recent history that you admire and, and why? You
1: know, when, when people ask that question, they look for the big names like uh, the Richard Branson or the Steve Jobs or... Um, people of that ilk, but most of the work in entrepreneurship is done by uh, normal, everyday type people. My father was an entrepreneur, and uh, nobody in the world really knows him, and my grandfather was an entrepreneur, and they've traced it as far back as Marco Polo when he was going to China. He borrowed money, and once he paid back the money, he shared in the profits, but if he didn't make the money back, he would... um, have to pay it back somehow. Wow. So they wouldn't have called it entrepreneurship back in the day, I wouldn't have thought? No. The word started gaining a lot more traction in the 1960s or 70s, but it it really comes from the French concept, which goes back 100, 200 years.
0: Mm, Wow. Yeah, because it seems like that depending on the economic climate um, back throughout history, everyone would have been everyone in business would have been an entrepreneur of sorts because of the risk factor
1: yeah at, at a given time mm-hmm. yes and now there's all different kinds of entrepreneurs there's mm-hmm. the normal opportunity based entrepreneurs where someone sees an opportunity and wants to capitalize on it and then there's some necessity based entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and these are people who don't have any other option mm-hmm. and then there's the social entrepreneurs which is an area that I really like working in. Mm,
0: Absolutely, yeah, we'll we'll definitely come to that. But to then go back, where did this
1: fascination with
0: entrepreneurship start with you?
1: Well, I think it may be in my genes. As I said, my father, Mm. grandfather and brother uh, were all entrepreneurs. And um, my specialty, my way of thinking is really kind of on an academic level. So I thought, my strength would be academic, and maybe I could try to explain what entrepreneurship is, how it works, and add to the general base of knowledge.
0: As a youngster, what were you learning
1: from your father
0: in those early years?
1: I think it was uh, a sense of independence. Um, My dad had worked for someone else, but he was never really happy with it. He wanted to Be his own boss. He wanted to be creative, innovative. And um, so I think I probably learned a sense of independence Hmm. from it. Uh, Throughout your
0: career, you had um, extensive experience in consulting and forecasting. I mean, looking at the climate now, it seems like forecasting would be pretty difficult.
1: Uh, It's an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, on some levels, when you have a really Good, well-behaved model; it's easy to predict. So, if I wanted to predict the demand for refrigerators next year, I could just look at how many were sold, when, how what how they decayed, how many broke down. Uh, but when you're starting a new venture and you're going to uncharted territory, it's very difficult to project. Sometimes it's uh, just a guess. Mm. It's it's interesting because
0: people starting businesses should be doing some sort of forecasting, I would have thought, um, to to gain a bit of an idea about the market that they're attempting to enter. What are some of the key factors that someone should be looking out for in terms of preparing to enter a new market?
1: Uh, there's a number of different things, and it almost goes back to the standard type of, of market analysis. Um, do you have a competitive advantage? Is there something that you can offer that other people don 't offer? Is there a demand for it? Can you produce a better product or a cheaper product? Um, you know I, th- I think of it, and there are some businesses where people feel held captive um, and they 're just waiting for somebody else to make them an offer and if If you can find those businesses, you have a real competitive chance mm.
0: Interested now to um, discuss some of the concepts around teaching entrepreneurship because it it always seems to be this perception that um, you know it's embraced by dropouts and charting your own course and and all of this stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Now? Like, how do you how do you go about teaching these concepts?
1: Well, it, it's interesting because the perception you you mentioned. Uh, it's probably not the, the general reality. Most entrepreneurs have a university degree and uh, many have postgraduate degrees. You know, when we look at the icons like Richard Branson, who is the rebel who wanted to accomplish things, um, we take that icon and then we start to generalize from it. So back to your teaching question on the first day when I would start an entrepreneurship course, I would say, uh, can I teach somebody to be an entrepreneur? And then I would say no. And then I'd say, okay, let's all go home. (laughs) (laughs) And there'd be a moment of silence, and then I'd explain myself. Uh, I can teach people to act entrepreneurially. So um, if you take a music analogy, I could teach somebody to play the notes, uh, but I couldn't make them Miles Davis. They have to have some kind of innate capabilities that allow them to master it. So for uh, the entrepreneurship research is really kind of fragmented, but there are few agreements on uh, what makes a real entrepreneur. One is a need to achieve. Another is a willingness to take risks. Um, and if you don't have those, you, you're going to find it very difficult to be an entrepreneur, you also have to be creative and innovative. Mm.
0: It's a really interesting point you make about teaching people who may not have it in their genes like like you do, but teaching them to be able to act entrepreneurially because it seems like that we're in, in an era where having those skills, whether it's ingrained in you or not, is going to be vital just to actually progress in life.
1: Yeah, the world is changing. Um, when my dad was... Uh, came out of school. Uh, It was more normal for a person to have one job and to have it for the rest of their lives. Now, in the environment we're at, uh, you'll have multiple careers. And so part of the teaching is not only the substance of, of entrepreneurship, but it's the metacognitive learning. It's the process. It's the kinds of things that you have to do. You have to teach someone to be proactive as well as reactive Mm. so it's kind of a a sense of being as much as it is course content Mm,
0: okay then as um, how do universities kind of review their own performance in terms of effectiveness of teaching um, and not just university universities but any other type of education provider in this space
1: it's an interesting and timely question I just did a review of a major university's entrepreneurship course, and I looked at all the classes they were offering, the program in its entirety, and uh, details at various levels. And again, there's been a shift over the last 10 years to how the material is taught. Um, When I started teaching, it was kind of the the sage-on-the-stage model. I'd stand up, I'd tell you, what I knew and if you told me what I knew back then you'd get a good grade (laughs) and now it's kind of co-creating knowledge it's it's curating knowledge Mm. so with the uh, access to the internet with the access to all other kinds of media blogs social media there's so much material out there that it's co-creating knowledge.
0: Mm,
1: Okay to come to your um, your specialty of
0: social entrepreneurship. I guess I'm interested to know how you define social entrepreneurship because um, having been involved in the space myself, and then I see uh, charities looking to move into an innovative space, where do you draw the line? How do you how do you put a bit of a, a box around it and say, this is social entrepreneurship?
1: Okay. Um, great question. And um, I've been asked that a lot of times. And I tried to see if I could come up With a definition that was less than 10 words. (laughs) And uh, social entrepreneurship is using innovative business techniques to solve social problems. So I got in under the 10 (laughs) words. (laughs) And um, what is social entrepreneurship is another good question because you're bounding the reality of it. Is it everything is social entrepreneurship? Then it has no meaning. Hmm. Or is it very, very limited And then you exclude a lot of things. But it's basically trying to solve social problems. Um, If you look at governments in Australia, North America, Western Europe, you'll find that there's a shortage of resources to do everything that needs to be done. Mm. You know, it's a market failure. So if I were to ask you, do you have full confidence that the government can solve every social um, problem? And people listening to this can't see you smiling, <laughs> but they can hear you laughing at that. Yeah. And then if I said, how many of you think non-profits or NGOs can solve everything, it's that same mm. nod of the head no. Mm. And if I ask how many people think business can solve all the problems, the answer is still no. Mm. So basically what it's evolved into is a public-private partnership where the government, NGOs, and businesses are trying to attack social problems, mm. sometimes together, sometimes not. And how far
0: has social entrepreneurship come? I mean, I think about when I first co-founded a social startup five years ago, um, I don't think anyone had re- – no one was really throwing around the term social entrepreneurship. Um, there was certainly less funding. People didn't understand what we were trying to achieve, both in a social and commercial space. Has it progressed a lot in recent years?
1: Uh, the quick answer is yes. Yeah. Um, there are some universities like Harvard where the majority of their people want to do social good. So I think social entrepreneurs want to do good and do well at the mm. same time. It's um, It's exploding. Mm. It's it's a it's a big phenomenon now.
0: What are some of the challenges, roadblocks, or what have you that exist at the moment for social entrepreneurship?
1: Well, if if you think about your own venture, mm. uh, very often the people who need the services, the target of your services, um, can't afford to pay for it. Mm. So right there, there's uh, an imbalance in the market system. Uh, people have to raise funds elsewhere. Sometimes it's government grants. Sometimes it's donors. Sometimes it's revenue-based activities of the venture. So there's a, a much bigger stakeholder problem. You have to serve many different stakeholders. Hmm. Another part of it and, uh, is that sometimes people are very well-intentioned to solve social problems but don't really have the business background. And if your venture isn't financially sustainable, uh, you're not going to be there to help solve the problems. Mm. So people talk about it as a a triple bottom line where it's the financial aspect, it's the social aspect, and the environmental aspect. Mm. So there's a much bigger level of complexity.
0: Is there a bit of a PR issue as well in that some people appear to be uncomfortable with... Uh, social ventures making money?
1: Um, For most of the social ventures, they're not on a for-profit basis. So when they make air quotes profits, uh, they're really generating revenue to help fulfill their mission and to either serve a targeted group of people or to serve society as a whole. Mm. Um, People don't in general, people don't get rich mm. from social ventures. In fact, you may wind up being your own biggest funder. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what does the future look like then? Maybe, maybe a, I guess, in a perfect world, and we, we touched on government not being able to solve all the problems, uh, charities, not-for-profits, certainly not. What does a balanced ecosystem look like between all of the, the parties involved?
1: Well, it, it's still evolving, and it really is a function of what the citizens of a particular country want. So without getting too political here, um, I live in a country that has recently changed presidents, and there's a very different version and vision uh, from the previous president and the current president. Now, does that reflect society as a whole? Um, in the last decade, there have been a number of changes in government in Australia, and uh, both within and between parties. Mm. And each of the leaders have different visions. So part of it is maybe a function of how active citizens are in trying to create the world they want.
0: Mm. Are there, I guess, case studies of cities or or countries that are that are leading in social entrepreneurship and and what are some of the the factors that are setting them
1: apart? There's um, data collected every year from an organization called the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, GEM to be uh, brief. And I forget how many countries they collect data, but it's somewhere around 80, maybe it's less, maybe more. And they look at each of the different countries and they look at the percentages of people involved in social entrepreneurship and i think in and i may be wrong but i think in malaysia hmm. it's less than 1% where in some of the african countries it's 20 to 30%. wow. so it really does vary by what the economy needs the government and the perceptions of of the citizens.
0: okay. Frederick, thanks so much for sharing your insights. Um, I think we'd love to get you back at some point and um, you know, pick out uh, a topic and go into a lot more detail because there's a lot of fascinating stuff there. But thanks so much for um, sharing a little bit about what you've learned on the journey so far.
1: Thank you, Andrew. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to do this.
0: Thanks for listening to our interview with Professor Frederick Kropp. Ahead of the Game brings you real business stories that will inspire and help you grow. Please subscribe to our show and to find out more, visit kmtpartners.com.au. At our website, you can also find out more about KMT's accounting and wealth advisory services, which support individuals, their family and their businesses with accounting, business, management, growth, compliance and advisory services. Get in touch at kmtpartners.com.au.